I want to uh, take a little side tour uh, today. If you'll turn with me to the book of Zechariah. Zechariah. That's two books before the end of the Old Testament. Minor prophet, one of the minor prophets, not because their message is not important, but because they're just shorter books than the major prophets like Isaiah and Jeremiah. Zechariah chapter 12, verse 10. Let's read together. Excuse me. It says, And I will pour out on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem a spirit of grace and supplication. And they will look on me, the one they have pierced. And they will mourn for him as one mourns for an only child and grieve bitterly for him as one grieves for a firstborn son. I read this verse back in January and, and, and I've been looking at it this week and thinking about it and it really is prophetic for the, for the people of Israel. Um, God has a plan for the people of Israel and this is part of that prophecy, the looking ahead to what God is going to do for the people of Israel. And you can read about that in, in other places. Romans chapter 11, 9 through 11 really talks about that. But when I read this here, it was, for me, it was like a prayer for us. It was a prayer for us here. That this is, this is what God would have for us. This is what that God would do for us here. And so that's what I wanna, how I want to look at this passage here today as a prayer for us here at Calvary Chapel and and first, uh, first, let's look at a little background about it, though. The, the book of Zechariah. Um, the book of Zechariah. Excuse me one second. My pages are flying all around here. The book of Zechariah was written during this period of restoration. And, and what I mean by that is when the people of Israel were, were taken into captivity... Uh, uh, finally, by the Babylonians, they were taken away from the land, and and you know that she mentioned uh, Nehemiah and and the rebuilding of the wall. Well, when they began to come back to the land uh, with uh, a guy named Zerubbabel and and Ezra, you read about this in the books of Ezra and Nehemiah. They began to rebuild the temple. It was a time of restoration, getting back to the land, getting to back to where they should be, and. You can read the whole book, and, and uh, Zechariah, he was a contemporary of, the, of another prophet, Haggai, but really is a, a book of encouragement. This whole book is a book of encouragement, and the encouragement is this, is to turn back to God, to turn to Him. Turn with me back to chapter 1 of Zechariah, and I'll show you why I say that. Chapter 1 and verse 3 He says, therefore, uh, tell the people, this is what the Lord Almighty says, return to me, declares the Lord Almighty, and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. Do not be like your forefathers to whom the earlier prophets proclaimed. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Turn from your evil ways, your evil practices, but they would not listen or pay attention to me, declares the Lord. Where are your forefathers now? And the prophets, do they live forever? But did not my words and my decrees, which I commanded my servants, the prophets, overtake your forefathers? And then, it says, they repented, and they said, The Lord Almighty has done to us what our ways and practices deserve, just as He determined to do. The heart of God we see there is to return to Him. 
Sometimes we wander. Sometimes we find ourselves in places that we should not be. But his heart is always that we should return to him. And he will always uh, receive us back. You, you know the, pro- the story of the prodigal son where he left. He had everything. And he left and he went out. And he got involved in all sorts of stuff. And he thought, you know, I'm not even worth... It's not, you know, even, I'm not worthy to even go back and be like a, a servant in the house of my father. But when you read the story, you see that the father was looking, he was watching for him. Because it says he saw him from a long ways off and, it, and he ran to meet him. The book of encouragement of Zechariah to return. Chapter 12 now, where we are looking at today in this verse, is part of, a part of Zechariah's final prophecy, the last section of his prophecy, the last uh, uh, chapters 9 through 14. And, and uh, this is what I want to look at here, this verse today, chapter 12, verse 10. We'll look at it one more time. It says, I will pour out on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem a spirit of grace and supplication, and they will look on me, the one they have pierced. I think more correctly, if you look in your margin, some versions have it right in the verse and some have it in the margin. It says they will, that, that the Lord would pour out uh, the, the Spirit of grace and supplication. The Spirit. The Holy Spirit of God. That God would pour out His Spirit. And this is the Lord speaking here and that He would pour out His Spirit. And, and uh, you know, that's, that's my heart. That's my desire. That's my prayer for us here, that, that God would pour out His Spirit here upon us. Because you know what? It's only by His Spirit that anything good could come here. It's only by the Holy Spirit of God working here that, that anything could ever happen in your lives, in my life, in this church, in this fellowship. We, this is not just a social club that we just get together and we, we talk about things, we sing some nice songs, we, you know, we, we play games and, you know, we give away hot dogs and we do have festivals. It's not just fun stuff, though. I have a lot of fun doing that stuff and I, I don't know how many hot dogs I ate that time. Um, but I was probably sick, but Mike liked it, so everything is Okay. But the the point is that unless God builds something by His Spirit here, nothing's going to get done. The the psalmist said, you know, unless the Lord builds the house, they labor, labor in vain. We can do all sorts of stuff. We can spin our wheels and do all this stuff. But unless God does something here by His Spirit, we're going to just waste our time. Unless the, the Lord watches over the house, the watchmen watch in vain. It says in that verse. Turn with me uh, to the Gospel of John. Uh, well, we're going we're gonna to blaze through a bunch of verses here, but, but uh, that's okay, right? Because we believe in the Bible. And God speaks through His Word, and, and the Holy Spirit um, empowers us to understand. But in the Gospel of John, there's like... Four places, I want to just write in a row, four places talking about the Spirit of God. Look in chapter 14 of, of John's Gospel. About the, why we need the Holy Spirit in, in, to, to come down and fall upon us and to uh, help us. Because He does so much for us. John chapter 14, verse 26, says this, the, the Counselor, and I like that word. 
Some say the comforter. It can be translated different ways, but, but uh, I, I like the counselor, man, because like I've said before, I need counseling. I'm in counseling. I'm in counseling with the Holy Spirit, with God counseling me each and every day. I don't know about you, but I, I, I need counseling every day. You know, if it was just dependent on me to go meet with a counselor somewhere once a week, how's that going to work? I need to meet with God each and every single day. He says, the counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. So he, he, he's our counselor. He's sent by the Father in the name of Jesus. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit all involved in this, the Trinity. But He's going to teach us all things. Not just some things. He's going to teach us all things. And He's going to remind us of things that He has said to us. It's amazing when, when you get an opportunity to share with someone and you're, you remember something that you didn't even know you remembered. And my memory is like is not as good as it used to be. Uh, maybe it was never any good. I, don't, I can't remember. But... but when the Holy Spirit helps you to remember some verse of Scripture, and you go like, wow, where did that come from? That's the Holy Spirit helping us. Look at chapter 15, verse 26. Chapter 15, verse 26. When the Counselor comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of Truth, who goes out from the Father, he will testify, testify about me, and you also must testify, for you have been with me from the beginning. So he calls him the Spirit of Truth there, but notice also he says that, that, um, that he will send, Jesus will send the Spirit, the Counselor, the Spirit of Truth. The earlier verse said the Father. They're all involved in this together, which makes it even more important. The Spirit of God testifying about truth. Look in chapter 16, verse 8. And when he comes, actually you start in verse 7, I tell you the truth, it is for your good that I am, am going away. Jesus speaking about ascending to the Father. Unless I go away, the counselor will not come to you, but if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world of guilt in regard to sin and righteousness and judgment. He brings that conviction that we so desperately need. We think we got it all together, but do we really? And then jump down to verse uh, 13 and 14. He says, but, but when He, the Spirit of truth, comes, He will guide you into all truth. And He will not speak on His own. He will speak only what He hears, and He will tell you what is yet to come. He will bring glory to me by taking from what is mine and making it known to you. Some people, they hear about the Holy Spirit and they say, oh, you know, it's going to get all weird, it's going to get all crazy. And I think there are places you can go to where it does get all weird and crazy. And I've been to plenty of those places, and it's all about the Holy Spirit. But when you read about what Jesus is teaching here, especially, the Holy Spirit is going to enlighten us in terms of Jesus Christ. He's going to bring the glory. He's not going to point to himself. He's going to point to Jesus. Always pointing to Jesus, not pointing to himself. We see that in this passage in Zechariah as well, the, the, the final part of it there where, you know, they will look unto me, the one they have pierced. The Spirit of God is going to lead us to Jesus. Always, always, always. How about the book of Acts, chapter 2? 
Acts chapter 2, turn ahead one book there. Acts chapter 2, verse 17. Peter speaking uh, on the day of Pentecost. Uh, some people call that the birthday of the church. Of course, uh, it's a matter of opinion when the church really started, but, but we know God knows who his people are, and that's, that's who the church is. But look, he's quoting from, the, he's quoting from the, uh, one of the other minor prophets, uh, Joel chapter 2, in verse 17, he says this, In the last days God says, I will pour out my spirit on all your people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy, and I will show wonders in the heaven above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows, billows of smoke. And the sun will be turned to darkness, the moon to blood, before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. He says he's going to pour out the Holy Spirit and it's going to be part of the, uh, you know, the, the end times and what God is doing. But, but, but there, are, there are signs, but, but ultimately it all again funnels down to Jesus Christ that whoever would call on the name of the Lord would be saved. Without the Holy Spirit working, we pray and we are, we, we've been praying for that God would use this place as a lighthouse to bring people to Jesus. But the Holy Spirit is the only one that can open their hearts and lives. But you know, I remember this verse, and I, and I spoke about it last time, uh, or maybe I didn't speak about it, but I know I spoke about it at my brother's memorial service, that my oldest brother, uh, you know, I took him to the church, and, and Mike McIntosh was speaking on this passage, and he got to this verse, and, and, and he gave a call to people to call in the name of the Lord and be saved. And my oldest brother got out of that seat that he was in and, and just about ran forward and he could barely walk because he had something wrong with his hip. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved, but the Holy Spirit is, is working. And, and uh, you know, I, I have to look back there to verse 17 and, and uh, I, I'm not seeing any visions, but, you know, maybe it's the dreams that are starting to come now just because of age. But, but you see, there's something for everyone, every age. But it's the Spirit of God working. There's nothing to be afraid of. It's, it's pointing us to Jesus Christ and what God wants to do in our lives through Jesus Christ, bringing people to Jesus. Let's go back to Zechariah chapter 12 again. The first point there was that, that God would pour out His Spirit. But notice there, He says... It's a, it's a spirit of grace and supplication. The first one there is a spirit of grace. The Holy Spirit of grace. And the definition of grace is what? Unmerited favor. That, that we would know here that it's nothing that we have deserved. Not, it, that God has just poured out His love upon us and done something in our lives. It's not something that we can, we can take any credit for. It's grace, grace, grace. She talked about, you know, coming from a dysfunctional family, and I, I thought, well, I'm glad my, fu my family wasn't dysfunctional. <laughs> Again, a prayer. This is a prayer for us that God would pour out His Spirit, a spirit of grace, that this would be a place of grace where people would come and know that there's just God's love and it's free 
And you don't have to earn it. And you don't have to fulfill a set of rules and regulations to get to the love of God in your life. A place of grace. That he would make us people of grace. And, and I remember uh, somebody spoke one time uh, at one of our meetings in New Hampshire. And he said, you know what? He says, I'm just a grace case. Because he knew that it wasn't him. That God had done a work in his life. And, and God was, was working in his life up to that point in time. The Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, he says, by the grace of God, he says, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And he wasn't talking about what he was before, and he wasn't talking about, he was talking about what God had done in his life because he persecuted the church, he hated Christians, he wanted to see them killed, and then he ended up that God put a call in his life and he, he became an apostle in the church telling people about Jesus Christ. He says, this is God's grace, it's not me. I, how could I have done that? By the grace of God, I am what I am. And, and for us to know that, that, you know, I have to remind myself of this. By the grace of God, I am what I am. That God has done a work in my life by grace and by Him just doing it in my life. A grace case. How many of you are, can, can understand that and, and see that in your life, that you're just a grace case? used to be you were a space case, and now you're a grace case. I mean, I can kind of relate to that, right? God would pour out His grace. People would know there's grace here, saving grace, amazing grace. In the book of Acts, it says that much grace was upon them all. In Acts chapter 4, the apostles were testifying to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and much grace was upon them all. In Romans chapter 3, we know it says that we're justified by His grace. We talked about Ephesians chapter 2, it's by grace we've been saved. And I love what Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. He says, the, the Lord said to him, my grace is what? Sufficient for you, it's enough. The people would come and find, you know what? God's here and, and God is enough for me. God's, he, God's here. He's enough for me. He's enough even in my weakness. Look at, look, I want you to turn back to Zechariah chapter 4. Zechariah chapter 4 and verse 6. He said to me, this is, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel. He said, not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord Almighty. That definitely ties in with what we're talking about today. Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit. But look at verse 7. He says, what are you, O mighty mountain? Before Zerubbabel, you will become level ground. And then he will bring out the capstone to shouts of God bless it, God bless it. And, and uh, uh, the simpler translation of that word is grace. To shouts of grace, grace. God's favor, God's unmerited favor. And, and, and this is something we just have to pray that God would do. It's not like, well, if we do this, this, and this, because then it's not grace anymore. It's because I did this, this, and this, and then God came and did what he was going to do. No, God, pour out your grace. We do not deserve it. 
There's nothing we can do to deserve His grace. We just want it. We just need it. We know how badly it is that we need it. Which leads us to the third point there. He says a a spirit of grace and what? Supplication. A spirit of supplication. The Holy Spirit. And this is simply prayer, isn't it? Simply prayer. Let us approach the throne of grace with confidence, with boldness. People who love to pray. Simply that God would make us people who pray. Simply people who pray. What, you know, what more can we do? We say, well, I can't pray. No, everybody can pray. We talked last week about, you know, some of the things that that we can do to serve the Lord, and there were things that, that we can all do, and we can all pray. We may not, you know, think that our prayers are, you know, worthy to be printed out or, you know, eloquent or anything like that. Paul didn't think his prayers were eloquent either, but of course we we read some of his prayers and they're like incredible. But he says, you know, I can't even speak. But to become people of prayer and and that God would pour out his spirit of supplication. And and even then we can't take any credit for that because it's the, the spirit of God working in us to make us people who pray. You see, it's all, it's all back to Him, all the glory to Him. It all goes back to Him in the end. But turn with me to, Philipp, uh, to 1 Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 2. 1 Timothy chapter 2. That one's not as easy to find. You've got to kind of flip through. 1 Timothy chapter 2. It says in verse 1, I urge then, I urge then, first of all, that requests, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for everyone, for kings, and for all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all good uh, godliness and holiness. And this is good and pleases God our Savior, who wants all men to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. That's powerful, isn't it? He wants us to pray. Paul's saying pray. He says it pleases God. It's good. And it pleases God. And, and, and God wants all men to be saved. Again, it brings us back to Jesus. <coughs> Requests, prayers, intercession, thanksgiving be made for everyone, for kings. We complain a lot about our, our kings sometimes, our, our political leaders but do we take the time to pray for them? That's like what Paul says here. I have to confess that many times I'll complain, but I won't pray. But God says to pray. Turn back to Philippians chapter 4. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, Thessalonians, 1 Timothy. So back about four books. Philippians chapter 4. In verse 6, a verse that we know, but, but again, <clears throat> God's word, uh, Peter said he, he wasn't afraid to remind people of the things that he had said because we forget. We stumble, we forget. He, he says in verse 6, don't be anxious about anything, but 
in everything. How? By prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Pray. And look at verse 7. This is beautiful. He says, And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. When? When we pray. When we pray. That we would be people of prayer. Turn back with me to the, to the book of Daniel. Daniel. And that's, that's the last of the major prophets. So if you go back to Zechariah, just keep going back a little ways. Daniel chapter 9. We, we've, we've been looking in, in Matthew and some of the uh, kind of the, the end times things and the, the things that are yet to come and that. And, and we know, we looked here in some of these verses in Daniel chapter 9 about what is yet to take place, the 77s and the... And the uh, you know, that last week of the Great Tribulation, and we looked at some of those, but, but if the beginning part of chapter 9 is really Daniel's prayer. A prayer, and it's a prayer of humility, and it's a prayer of re- repentance. Look at chapter uh, 9, verse 1. We're not going to read the whole prayer. It's very long. But in the ver- first year of Darius, son of Xerxes, a Mede by descent, who was made ruler over the Babylonian kingdom, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood from the scriptures, according to the word of the Lord given to Jeremiah the prophet, he was reading Jeremiah, that the desolation of Jerusalem would last 70 years. So I turned to the Lord God and I pleaded with him in prayer, in petition, in fasting, and in sackcloth and ashes. I prayed to the Lord my God and confessed, O Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps His covenant of love with all who love Him and obey His commands, we have sinned and done wrong. We have been wicked and rebelled. We have turned away from Your commands and laws. We have not listened to Your servants, the prophets. He goes on, and you can read the whole prayer. And, and, and it says in verse 20, look at verse 20 there. He says, While I was speaking and praying, confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel, and making my request to the Lord my God for His holy hill, while I was still in, par- in prayer, Gabriel, the man I had seen in the earlier vision, came to me in swift flight. And this is when we begin to get the, the prophecies about what would, would come. But it came when he was praying. And in Gabriel, the archangel, and it's a a fascinating picture. Prayer. Not only prayer, but prayer of repentance, where we we come and pray in humility and repentance. Back in Zechariah, now chapter 12, we quickly need to wrap this up because we're going to have communion together. He says there in the last half of the verse, they will look on me the one they have pierced, and they will mourn for him. They will look on who? Jesus, God the Son. A prophecy from God that he says they will look on me, the one they have pierced. I don't know how anybody could not not agree that the Scripture teaches the deity of Jesus Christ, that he is God. Because it's throughout the Scripture, but here's another, another indication of it. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus. It's all about Jesus. 
God the Son, look to Him, and, and that this would be a place where we turn our hearts and our lives to Jesus, the author and the, the finisher of our faith. Interesting thing just to note, in, in the book of Zechariah, the prophecies about Jesus Christ, and this is written, I remind you, 500 years before Jesus came. You know, there's, there's all these prophecies in there. It, it talks about him being the branch in chapter 6. It talks about him coming into Jerusalem on a donkey, that what we call the triumphal entry in chapter 9. In chapter 11, it speaks about him being betrayed for 30 pieces of silver. Chapter 13 talks about uh, strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. And then a verse that Jim even referred to in prayer this morning about his return on the Mount of Olives. But here in chapter 12, it speaks very clearly about the crucifixion of Jesus Christ about what he went through for you and for me, that his, that his head was pierced with the thorns, that his hands and his feet were pierced with nails, that his side was pierced with a sword. Isaiah 53 prophesied he was pierced for our transgressions. Revelation chapter 1 says he's coming with the clouds. Every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. The one says they will look on him, on me, the one they have pierced. If you can imagine looking into the face of Jesus, the one that they have pierced. But I had to ask the question when I came to this, this verse is who pierced him? Was it just the people of Israel? I don't think so. They did, but we did too. We all did. We all pierced him. That's why it says in Isaiah, he was pierced for our transgressions, and not just for the transgressions of the people of Israel, but the sins of the whole world he was pierced for. He was pierced for my sin. He says, they will look on me, the one they pierced, and they will mourn for him, to mourn for him for what I did to him. For my sin he was pierced. That song we sing I'll never know how much it costs to see my sin upon that cross. The Son of God, we preach Christ crucified, but, but do, we, do we sometimes understand and think about the fact that why was he there? He was there because of my sin. He was pierced for me. But jump down to chapter 13, verse 1, because it doesn't stop there. Thank God. Chapter 13, verse 1 says, On that day a fountain will be opened to the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem to cleanse them from sin and impurity. The fountain will be opened to you and I to be washed from our sins, the sins that pierced Him. That's my prayer, and I, and I would hope and ask you to pray along with me for God to do that, not only in this church, but in each one of us. Spirit of grace, pour out His Spirit, the Spirit of grace, the Spirit of supplication or prayer, and that, that we would look on Jesus, our only hope. Shall we pray together before we partake communion?